from the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia to around the globe. You're listening to Shark Bite Biz, your exclusive place for business strategy, sales, marketing, and tech in the roaring 20s. And now, here's your host, David Strausser. Welcome to another episode of Shark Bite Biz. I'm your host, David Strausser, and this is your place to learn how to grow a business during complete chaos. We've got a fun show here played today, so we're just going to jump right to it. I want to try to make these intros and outros just a little bit quicker because the feedback I got was that people wanted a little bit shorter episodes. So I'm going to do my best, see what we can do. And today it's going to be really hard because we're going to be talking about one of my favorite topics, and that is sales and lead generation. We're going to cover some important topics in this discussion, kind of like finding the balance between automating and customizing your sales and marketing process. The strategy to go beyond referrals and personal networks to find better leads and the best way to build an effective sales team. So who is today's guest? Glad you asked, Dan Iglander. Dan Iglander is the CEO and founder of Sales Schema, a fractional new business team for marketing agencies, and he hosts the Digital Agency Growth Podcast. Previously, Dan was the first employee head of new business at Ideal Rocket, and before that, account coordinator at DX Agency. He's the author of Mastering Account Management and the B2B Sales Blueprint. In his spare time, he enjoys developing new aches and pains via Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. <laughs> uh, I love that intro, man. Uh, so without further ado, let's bring Dan on in here. Make the sale. Dan, welcome to Shark Bite Biz. You are now Shark Bait, my friend. <laughs> that sounds terrifying, but thank you, thank you for for allowing me to be Shark Bait. <laughs> oh, no problem, man. You know, I, I just told this story the other day. It actually took me about fifty episodes before I realized that I could tell my guests they're going to be Shark Bait, and it plays into the whole shark thing. So <laughs> I'm just surprised you could pronounce that so seamlessly. It sounds like a, like a tongue twister. So oh, <laughs> that's, it that's is. Impressive. It is. You should see me when I'm trying to record my <laughs> intros and outros, man. There's a lot that I have to. Why doesn't my tongue work today? <laughs> right. Yeah. I know the feeling. So we, we have a tradition here on the show, Bed. Uh, it's always the very first question to kick it off. We love talking about personal growth, career growth, how you got to where you are today. So I know this is probably going to be a loaded question, especially since you're a jiu-jitsu master. Okay? <laughs> Not so much, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but tell us who you are, what's your experience, what your background is, what are you an expert in? What makes Dan dead? Yeah, it's uh, well, that's it's a that's a big question. Um, so my background is is basically in the agency space. You know, I, I started uh, here in New York. I always joke that when you move to New York and you don't really know what you want to do, you kind of just like end up in the the waste bin of the the media or the ad agency world, right? So that yeah. kind of happened to me, and I had a couple kind of like BS internships, and then landed kind of an entry level job as an accounts person. BS for meaning like Bachelor of Science internships. 
No, no, as in <laughs> as know, in but... the other BS. Yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> very very much a humanities dude. Um, yeah. yeah, and ended up working working in on the account side for you know some some bigger consumer accounts um, for kind of like a social media focused agency here in New York, and literally was the one that was answering you know like like my headphones broke uh, problems on Facebook walls, kind of like in the relatively early days of. Facebook marketing and stuff. And, you know, wanted to move on from that and kind of fell into uh, a role and essentially like a startup creative services firm focusing on animated video. So um, I was the first employee and head of new business there and kind of and jumped back and forth between sales and client service, which I think mm-hmm. in hindsight, it was a really, really formative, you know, because I, I kind of had to deal with managing clients as well as having enough time and energy and motivation to sell you know, having to take ownership over, over being in a sales role without having explicitly, you know, taking a uh, starting in one, you know, without really thinking about taking on that role, kind of like mm-hmm. falling into it and making it work. So, you know, still friends with the owner of that company um, there and, and basically tried every tactic under the sun, did that inbound, outbound to get clients, um, <laughs> got on thousands of calls and eventually made it work, you know, went through sales coaching. And when I left, we we had around 16 Fortune 500 accounts under the roster, went from, you know, pretty, pretty modest beginnings to seven figures and, mm-hmm. you know, around like late 2014 or so. Um, kind of did the cliche thing of, of quitting my job and traveling Asia and with my girlfriend at the time. And you're doing the whole kind of like Tim Ferriss around the world thing yeah. and started, started the company I have now, which in the early days was pretty much me um, bouncing around between consulting clients, you know, giving advice on, on how to improve your sales funnels and sales coaching and stuff. It, it was kind of like, I don't know if you watched better call Saul, but it kind of felt like the first season oh, of that. Yeah. Where he's jumping around. A little behind on it because I felt that it was kind of like a slow build up the first two, three seasons. And it's like I stopped watching it. And that's where everybody told me, oh, no, you've got to watch it again. So I got to get caught up. But yeah, I yeah, it's it's good. You just have to wait forever for between seasons. But but anyway, yeah. it was it was it was kind of like that. And then pretty early, like realized that the 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 area that I understood best for my background and the place that needed the most help was was the agency world and specifically the the boutique agency world. And by that I mean people doing marketing services, you know, digital marketing, creative services, events sometimes. Um, and what what I found was that you know a lot of my clients have the perpetual cobbler's children problem. They're really good at marketing their clients, not as good at putting that energy. Words and I realized the thing that I could build that could actually scale and be useful to them is a service that builds relationships that essentially opens doors and yeah and it's and we've been growing since then um, and and focusing right. on so that you're space. A people person. Yeah. I, I try to be. <laughs> it depends on, <laughs> on the day of the hour, but yeah. So I gotta ask you just because travel is a, a personal passion of mine. You said that you had the travel bug and you went around. Did the where, where did you travel to? Yeah, I've done done a good amount of traveling. So that that I've in pre like a long time ago, I guess the first place I went was like Western Europe when I was in high school. But um, in my adult life basically did uh, most of Southeast Asia. So did like Thailand, Vietnam, mm-hmm. Burma, or, or Myanmar, uh, Indonesia. Um, I've also I've done Brazil for a month and a half, which is a lot of fun. Um, and then is that shorter where you learned the jujitsu? Uh, I didn't learn it there. I started, started it here in the States and, uh, and, but I did, I did train down there, which was a lot of fun. Yeah. Okay. Did you go anywhere else? South America, Central America? So the, the last trip I did was Argentina just for, just for a couple of weeks. And mm-hmm. it was, you know, March, early March to late March of 2020, which, you know, was, was quite a, yeah. quite a time to be down there. So 
getting getting into a story. Basically, they shut down the country at midnight the night before the night before the morning I was supposed to leave. So yeah. it was it was kind of hairy. I was like, oh well, this will blow over in a couple of weeks. I'll just stay yeah. a little longer, and then it became clear I needed to get out. I literally got the last flight out of Dodge from from Buenos Aires. Wow! Wow! So. Well, you got lucky with that, or else you'd probably still be down there right now. Uh, yeah, maybe I, I definitely would have been down there for a long time. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I always ask that because I did. I wouldn't say a lot of traveling. I mean, some people would be like, oh, you traveled a lot. But I mean, really, I went to mostly just two countries. I lived down in Mexico for about 15 years. I moved oh. there right after I was 18. And then when the economy went really south um, in, I guess it was 2008, 9, 10, uh, for me, it hit me really bad 2009, 2010. So 2010, then I moved to, to Peru for a year and then ended up moving back to Mexico. Um, but the reason I bring that up is because those experiences really, I'm from rural Pennsylvania and totally different. I mean, this sounds bad now, but like I, back then, I mean, you gotta remember, this is 2001-ish. When I first went down there, it was 17, 18 at the time. And I thought it would be like Speedy Gonzalez. I mean, that's how ignorant I was as far as how Mexico would be. Like, I was blown away. Like, oh, my God, they have electricity. They have uh, Internet here. They have Internet. I couldn't believe it. And it, it really opened my eyes for being able to just see the world through a different light, a different lens. Uh, and it really made me, I think, who I am today because of those types of experiences. Did you have anything like that during your travels that you feel impacted you or changed you in a positive way? Yes, yeah, it's a great question. Um... I, I think that it was, I, I, I've traveled enough where it, it, it sort of, it goes back around the other end eventually. And it's, you sort of realize that places are more the same than different, which isn't necessarily to say that oh, yeah. I'm cynical to it or, or it's not interesting. Um, but I think, I think the most eye opening was like the, the idea of not having a permanent home. I think that was the most um, mm -hmm. formative thing where I, I, you know, after traveling long term, I got to the point of feeling comfortable. Like this is an exaggeration, but almost like I could sleep on a park bench pretty comfortably right. if I had to. And I'm not saying that I was roughing it, like we were in hotels and stuff like that, but or apartments. Um, but I think that was that was the biggest thing. And then and then you know, I think eventually, um, just look like wanting to look for more depth instead of just seeing new places. Like you get to a point of traveling where seeing new sites and new things mm -hmm. is, becomes less interesting. So I think like more recently with traveling, it's been more about sort of having a different version of my normal routines in a new place to get perspective as opposed to I just hate going the to touristy yeah. sites. Like I don't yeah. like, okay, so the tourist thing, if there's something really cool, whatever, it's like, okay, yeah, check it out. I love going off the beaten path, whether I'm traveling to a different place down in, in Mexico or I've been to... Colombia, Ecuador, it's like, I want to go see how life 
really is, you know, like how, mm -hmm. how people really live down there, how the economy is, how businesses are, not just in the tourist section where, you know, everything's going to be nice, clean, neat, because that's where they want the tourists to come in. Did, did you feel any of that at all? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I did. And I think like another thing is just kind of experiencing, you know, business life and entrepreneurship in a new place is, is mm -hmm. pretty cool. Um, <clears throat> I got a chance to do that. Not not really like in depth, but just working in a co-working space in, in Rio, like in Brazil was mm -hmm. pretty cool. And just seeing like, you know, how people are working there. And I think I probably got a weird jilted look at it because it was right before carnival so people were like pretty much checked out you know yeah, yeah, um, yeah. but then i also also got to see that in india i was with my cousin and he was he was you know setting up some some business relationships there exploring those and, and kind mm -hmm. of the realm of construction and architecture um so just kind of like seeing you know how how active entrepreneurial life is in a place like hyderabad it was pretty cool um so so i think that like yeah it, it changes from from sightseeing to doing kind of like a, a different version of what you would normally do in the States, but just getting a new perspective on it, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, for many years, uh, when I was down there in Peru, going back to Mexico, because of how the economy was, I mean, for many, my younger years, I'd lived in Tijuana, but then I was working in San Diego. I'd cross the international border every single day, twice a day to go to work. And uh, I, I don't know Can't if do I want anymore. to do that again. It was tough. <laughs> yeah. Uh, especially right after September 11th. I mean, I mm -hmm. could be waiting in line to cross the border four or five, six hours. And, you know, one of the things though that, and this is why I say that those travels really evolved me because when I couldn't find work because of how the economy was back then, I realized, hold on a second, I speak Spanish. I got all of these connections. So instead of looking for a permanent full-time job, I started looking for like contracts to where it's like, hey, you want to get your products down there into Mexico. You want to take advantage of NAFTA. And that's kind of what I did for about five, six years before I ended up taking my full-time job with uh, Vision 33. So I, I definitely agree that doing those things, I mean, especially if you got that entrepreneur uh, mindset, you know, travel and just learning how things are, it can definitely open up a whole new world for you and give you a new perspective on things. Yeah. And it's something I've been thinking about a lot now, because like, I think that the world that, you know, you and, and I might've been part of, or still are the sort of like bootstrapped entrepreneur location, mm -hmm. independent entrepreneur world um, was, you know, kind of had this sort of like piratey ethos and this whole, like, you know, we can live and work wherever we want. And then, you know, what's yeah. happened in the last few months is the whole, almost the whole world, the whole like knowledge worker world has as now now has a pretty comparable amount of liberty like if you work for you know a lot of tech companies like my girlfriend works in finance and for, by and large can kind of live and work wherever wherever she wants and so on so you know i, I guess i'm just curious to see the jury's out like what's going to happen to to cities and that sort of thing like i live in new york and i think that a lot of people are, are like the james altucher's of the world they're like oh new york's going to fall apart and you know no one's going to want to live here but i i just look at the sort of case study of the world that I'm in and the location independent bootstrapped world. And most people are still choosing to live in cities, right? That's, there's some sort of intrinsic value there. So I don't know, I like, well, maybe, maybe that's going to change when everybody change. has yeah. that Liberty. I don't know. Maybe people will move out to the country. It's happening now, but that's also a pandemic. So the data is really cloudy. Right. So I, I don't mean, know. We were thinking about this as well too. And it was, if, this happened and we were still in Los Angeles. I think we would be going 
completely nuts. Thank God I got this promotion and we're out here in uh, the suburbs of Philly because now I have a house with, uh, I don't have a huge, huge backyard, but compared to what we had in, in LA, it's like a mansion in comparison. But if we didn't have this space to where, you know, we have a trampoline in the backyard, uh, we have a place that we can walk, ride our bikes safely and stuff like that. I don't know if we would have been able to make it out sane. Right. Well, it's it's a good it's a good point. And uh, and don't get me wrong, like I'm going nuts now, like we're, we're trying to get out of New York in the next <laughs> X months. But what I wonder about is. Is that is that just sort of an acceleration of of a trend that would have happened just for most of us? Like most people, you know, tend to move out of cities as they get older, start planning a family, et cetera. So I'm wondering if that mm-hmm. just like turned up the treadmill volume, or if that, or if that's just like, or if it's actually a permanent fixture and more people in general for the long term are gonna just disperse in different places. Like, right? right. I, I don't know. <laughs> well, they're knows. saying that the I, I just heard this on a podcast that last night i think it was and they're saying that the long-term effects of this pandemic for business people personally stuff like that i mean when this ends it might be five to eight years till we actually see the the results of how everything actually shifted out like they were yeah. saying the younger generation i mean kids i have a 17 year old uh, and i also have a an eight-year-old and with that, I mean, they're essentially going to be losing a year and a half of, of their education because of this, because let's face it, I mean, yeah, they're learning right now, but it is very minimal compared to what they would have in school. Right. Um, it's very, you know, they're distracted. I find even the 17 year old like, oh, yeah, his Chromebook's on, but he's playing video games. And I'm like, come on, dude, I have to sit you at the kitchen table. And, um, you know, they're, they're, so they're saying those long-term impacts on how to affect businesses and stuff like that, it's probably going to be five to eight years till we fully see all of that trickle down. Yeah, yeah. And even then, it'll be hard to parse what the, the, the causation, right? It'll be, what, what was behind mm-hmm. those trends? So, so yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a, this is definitely fun conversation. This is why I like having the unstructured structured kind of method because uh, we get to talk about a lot of fun stuff this way. Yeah, so absolutely. Let's jump into sales right now. Okay. One of the things that you do do with sales schema is sales, obviously, and <laughs> you focus on uh, B2B sales, lead generation. How do we do that during this pandemic? I mean, things have really changed for a lot of people. I mean, there's some companies that still don't have, you know, their their extensions forwarding to their cell phones or a home office or something like that. And it's a lot harder to get in touch with people these days. Yeah. So there's, there's a lot to to dig in, into there. So I, I guess the first thing is, you know. I like asking loaded questions. Yeah. No, no. It's great. It's great. Um, I think the first thing is like getting to the point of, um, of, of the mindset where it's not like you can you can just stop you know, building these relationships, you might mm-hmm. adjust your tone depending on what industry you're in or something, but well, unless I you're mean, planning exactly. on- Exactly, you can't yeah. stop building relationships. I mean, that is, we were talking about this right before. That's one of the key reasons that I started Shark Bite Biz is because it, once I realized, hey, this thing isn't going to be over in two, three, four, five weeks, that this is going to be long-term, it's like, well, 
I don't want to stop my professional growth. I don't want to stop my personal growth. I can't put on events. I can't network. Okay. How do I continue doing that with what's going on in the outside world? And Shark Bite Biz was the product of that. Right, right, exactly. So so you're you're approaching it the right way, I think. And so that that's the first thing. And you know, obviously, like what what happened is that everybody that used to wine and dine and go to trade shows to get business mm-hmm. has essentially been like, oh crap, I gotta I gotta figure out digital. And so, you know, you yeah. have this traffic jam where you have three lanes. Like really let's think about what digital Why is. Why did dine? I'm gonna send you Uber Eats right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, there there is a little of that. There's a little bit of like this mixture, but you know, you have a situation where um, there's a lot of cars in like three lanes. Because if you think about like what digital is for B2B, which is I think my, mine and your world, it's, you know, it's LinkedIn, it's email, it's phone. Maybe you have a mixture of direct, of direct mail. So you have like, you know, pretty much every business uh, under the sun is now flushed into that little, that little area. So everybody that was doing that before has an advantage because they know how to pivot and how to make it work and how to they're ahead of deal the with. Yeah, they're ahead of the curve. Uh, and then you have everyone else trying to to figure it out. So, you know, I think some people will figure it out. Others, others won't. Um, I think that, you know, and this isn't my my observation. But I think it's probably true that it's not like analogs going away. Like, I think it's gonna it's gonna change and it's gonna go away to an extent. But you know, as soon as somebody says, "Hey, I'm gonna get on a plane because my competitor won't get on a plane." then that's the, then it's going to be back. And, you know, I don't know that we're going to have a situation where, you know, in, in person is as big as it was, but I think you're going to have like incentives for people to, you know, to, to rub bellies and all that stuff. Right. So yeah, yeah. that's, that's so gonna, a couple of things right back. there that you just mentioned. Okay. We've had expert after expert on this show saying that they believe that the future is going to be hybrid. It's going to be, basically mixed media. Like if you look at events, for example, you might have a smaller group at a trade show that's going to be there in person, uh, but most people are going to be joining remotely. Uh, But it's going to be a mix like that. So I definitely think that's probably going to be the trend in the future, because if there's one thing that we learned during this pandemic, it's that we learned that our time is valuable okay because now that we're not commuting and we're not uh you know driving all over town to these appointments i mean it's amazing how much time has been unlocked because of that and we're finding ways to be more efficient and more productive by doing things remotely you know through teams calls or zooms calls stuff like that Right. And I, I think that, that we're going to have to see how it settles out. And I don't, I don't have a lot of answers. I just know that, you know, that sort of like grayness uh, time capsule effect of, of pestilence and pandemic is pretty consistent now with like what you read about from like 1918 and other pandemics where time kind of freezes in a way. And I think you have a lot of people yeah. that are like, well, screw it. You know, I, I can't go out to dinner, so I might as well just work through this time. Um, yeah. So I don't know if that's just like a, an artifact of pandemic or if that's like a way that people are going to continue to work. But regardless, like when this starts kind of when the lights start shining in and this starts ending, uh, people are going to need to set up really disciplined barriers for when they work and when they don't work. Cause you know, I think a lot of people yeah. are going to remain remote. I don't think like a bunch of commercial uh, office space leases are going to kick back into gear after this. Like it just doesn't make sense oh, yeah. that these companies are going to take on that overhead. So people are going to have to figure out the sort of things that, you know, um, 
smaller entrepreneurial companies have, have been doing for years now. Yeah. 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 I mean, I don't know. Maybe I have the wrong mindset, but I've worked from home for the last five plus years, Vision 33. And they've always taken real good care of me. I mean, they're like, hey, you know, you don't have to work more than eight hours. But I've always felt the responsibility like, hey, I got really good benefits. I got a really hefty salary. They essentially know that I need to work, uh, you know, with what I do, especially right now with being the manager of the whole region. You know, I could have a customer emergency at like nine o'clock on a Saturday night. Then it's like, hey, I've got to drop people because this is a big issue. You know, I don't know. I, I just always felt like, hey, I'm not working every day, 12 hours a day. But yeah, maybe in the evening I've got to take 45 minutes to take care of something at eight o'clock at night. But the trade off is during the day. I can do things like I'm recording the podcast for my personal stuff. And it kind of, I think, trades out for me for a good work-life balance. Yeah, yeah. And I think that, you know, a, a, lot, a lot of people are, are starting to kind of enjoy that that effect. Um, I guess, like, just what, kind of what I worry about in the working world are these, like, snowball effects where, you know, it all just depends on the culture of the company. And you have a situation where because, you know, people are reachable and can be reachable and there isn't mm -hmm. any like defined boundary on work. You could, that could either play out in like really healthy ways or like really unhealthy ways, just depending on the situation. Yeah. 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 No, I think so with a job like mine, or even I would say a lot of different sales reps too, I think an eight hour work day is just a little bit outdated in my mind because yeah. my job I mean, I can't make work magically appear. I always have work to do, but it, it's basically task oriented. I mean, are you reaching your end goal, your end mission, closing deals, fixing problems, things like that? Yeah. So that's where, you know, I just kind of accept it that, you know, my job is to resolve these in a reasonable amount of time each day. Maybe one day I'm doing six hours, but the next day I'm doing 10 hours because it was more on demand. And I just kind of view that it all balances out then. Yeah. And I think that that's sort of like the the working mode that's like being demanded of most knowledge workers now. It's like kind of a shift. It's not even a shift to digital. It is that, but it's more like a shift to you know, entrepreneurial working models. And an entrepreneurial and, mindset, I think, is what gives me that ability. Yeah, but I guess like what I'm worried about is like, you know, entrepreneurship's great. I'm, I've been an entrepreneur for mm -hmm. a long time. Um, I don't think everybody should be an entrepreneur or should should right. have to be an entrepreneur. I think that people should be able to get good at a trade and, you know, mm -hmm. execute that. And what I worry about is I'm not sure how much more room there is in the economy for that sort of work, right? That's sort of like trade-based work. There's some, um, there's the developers, right? And there's, there's coders, but there's not, there's not a lot of that. And uh, I'm just wondering what happens to all of, all of those people. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, it's really interesting. One other topic I wanted to jump on that you just touched about was, uh, you know, reaching out to people through LinkedIn. Now I had an expert on this show, seeing if I, oh, right here. It was uh, Lanaire Johnston who did the linkability. Her episode actually just aired uh, like a week or so ago. And she's big into LinkedIn. And I love LinkedIn. I think that it's one of the most underused platforms and misunderstood platforms for social media. 
problem is now is that everybody's trying to figure it out. And I'm getting hammered sometimes with 50 different in-mail messages a day from random people trying to sell me things. And it's kind of just being blocked out at this point. Um, what do you think about that? I mean, how much time should businesses still focus on lead generation with, with LinkedIn? Yeah, uh, I'm trying to think of the best way to answer that. So to take a step back, I'm not a huge believer in getting getting obsessed with with any various channel. You know, I think that you mm-hmm. you should use it, but not let it use you basically. And I think that yeah. you know what we've seen with with every every channel, with every medium, every every social media, you know, like walled garden, so to speak, is that you have you know pretty limited amount of control over what happens to your audience there. Um, you know, for example, with Facebook. You used to have a lot of, you know, your organic audience that you would build. And now it's essentially a pay to play model. Like you can get some people into your group or whatever, but ultimately like you need to advertise to get to those, those people. Um, I don't know exactly what's going to happen with LinkedIn. I, I hear different whispers. The whispers that I hear is that LinkedIn is going to become like Facebook and it's essentially like the same level of you know the advertising model facebook has where it's it's pay to play mm-hmm. and it's super well targeted linkedin ads are already pretty expensive you know most of the experts i've talked to are talking about needing to be ready to invest you know five ten grand a month just to play ball there so mm-hmm. i'm I, i'm not saying that it's not useful i'm not saying you can't use linkedin i think that it's incredibly powerful as, a, as an intelligence tool um but ultimately you know i i think the you have to kind of like keep these various things that you don't own at arm's length and really start to think about, okay, what's defensible? What can I own as a channel and so on? Because there's always going to be platform risk, you know? Um, A lot of companies are down for that platform risk or sort of like, I'll play, I'll I'll take that gamble all day. Like if you look at an e-commerce business that's selling on Amazon, they're like, cool, I'm willing to let Amazon screw me over because there's so much opportunity to be had. Uh, in the mm-hmm. meantime, so you might decide to do that, but at least know that you're making that gamble. So right. for us personally and for our clients, like which are straight up organizations, we're big believers in, in outbound um, and, you know, by hook or by crook. So that's outbound that might involve LinkedIn, email and phone. I like email because I think email is, is anti-fragile. You know, we've seen nobody owns right. email. Right. And yes, you know, Google and Outlook can have filters that decide okay, this message gets through, this other one doesn't, but ultimately you need to be able to send messages to people you don't know or else email, def- the purpose is defeated of email to begin with. So it hasn't gone anywhere. I don't think it's going to go anywhere in a while. It's gotten harder to do well, but that's really good for companies like ours. You know, that it also means we get less spam. Um, so ultimately, you know, whether it's email or phone, like I'm, I'm, big believer, I'm a big believer in a protocol that nobody owns that is right. in which where you can build your own audience that nobody can take away from you. So that's, that's kind of the long-term play is worth, you know, investing in. Yep. Okay. So let's uh, talk a little bit about automation in the sales marketing world. How do people really find that right balance between automating and customizing, you know, the sales marketing processes? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I think that you do it. Obviously, and it's going to play out different ways in different, you know, different situations. But I think the way that, that I like to think about it is once you've had, you know, a conversation with somebody, you've essentially built a, built a relationship with them. And that's a situation where you probably don't want to over automate, you know, you don't want to have like 
something that's spoofing, you know, your personality going out to somebody that you've already talked to. Um, so, so ultimately like the way that, that we approach it at sales schema, and this is for our own internal sales and marketing is not really trying to, there's except there's, there's some moderate exceptions to this, but mostly, you know, being super genuine. Like if we're sending mm-hmm. a blast to the list, we're not trying to make it not look like a blast, you know? Right. Uh, and, and there, there are exceptions, you know, we do do lots of, of, relationship driven outreach at scale where people getting the message think that it was handwritten just for them, but we're also doing enough research and and to create a situation in which it's still pretty genuine and it's almost, it's, it's not taking too many liberties there, if that makes sense. So, so I'm not really into automation after that first relationship is built basically. Okay. Okay. No, that sounds really, really good. I think that's a good tidbit because this is a topic that we usually go back and forth on with a lot of the sales and marketing people that we bring on here because it's really good to hear a lot of different takes on this subject because there are so many different opinions on it. And I think what you're saying is pretty much in line with you know what these other experts have told us so far. So that's really great. Now, we do got to start getting wrapped up, but I do have two good questions that I do want to ask you before we roll out. First one is, you know, exactly what we were talking about. So if we're sending the emails like you're saying, I mean, how do you think that we best can tastefully open up the doors with those code emails? Yeah, and this is this is something that's definitely that we've seen change a lot. And just to give a little context on the answer, you know, it used to be a situation where we we could perfectly position our clients to, to a decision maker and say, mm-hmm. here are all the reasons we should talk. Here are our case studies. Here are our bona fides. Like, let's have a conversation, and that would work. And I'm and it still does work sometimes. But right. what's happened again, kind of back to what we were talking about before, is everybody's flooded into these same digital channels, right? And there's just also just more competition overall because of the global economy and so on. So mm-hmm. it's gotten harder and harder to get somebody to agree to agree to open that door and give you know us or our client time. So. To answer your question, what what that's what that's been is more about figuring out where our clients have an in, right? Where they have maybe a personal commonality or a business commonality with a prospect that is more likely to take a call with them, based on that connection, and then and then using it. So it's basically kind of like using loose ties uh, and right. starting with that low hanging fruit, as opposed to doing what everyone's doing, which is just hey, like anybody could spit out a list of their decision maker. Like it takes literally two minutes on LinkedIn. Okay, here's a list of people that I can sell to. Um, right, but you know it ends up you end up getting that beating your head against a brick wall effect. So so that's that's kind of how we approach it. Yep. Yeah, okay. Good. And let's finish up with this last question that I think everybody is going to love, which is what's the best strategy for going beyond referrals and personal networks to generate new business? Yeah, I'm not going to have a snappy answer for that. I'm sorry. I'm going to have a long-winded answer. Uh, it depends okay. what domain Go you're ahead. in. You know, I, I think you want to you think about uh, kind of like a few different prongs. So you probably want to think if, if you know, you want to think about an inbound strategy, you want to think about outbound, and then you probably want to think about some kind of earned. So it depends on who you're selling to and everything. Um, uh, but I, I think, you know, the inbound is going to take longer, the earn is going to take longer. So you want to kind of plan for for that horizon. I think that if, you, if you're, you know, in a B2B sort of world, podcasts have been great. Mm-hmm. Um, it depends on your time and, and your energy. Uh, I think, you know, paid is one of these things that can work, but I think it ends up being kind of, 
a mature strategy to use. Like you want to make sure that you're ready to take advantage of that investment. And right. we're kind of a man with a hammer. We're definitely biased towards outbound. So grain of salt there. Um, but we, I really think outbound is a way to move fast. And mm-hmm. it's, it's something that can inform everything else because as long as you're getting on conversations, you then can build all the collateral that is informed by, you know, actual uh, sales mm-hmm. situations. And I think outbound is, it can move a lot more quickly than other things. So I think it's definitely, you know, should be one of the prongs. No, no, that's great. Hey, this has been really fun. Uh, it's been a great, great discussion. A lot of good tidbits you gave us both from personal growth perspective, professional growth, lead generation, all that good stuff. Why don't you do me a favor? Tell me how our guests, our viewers can get in contact with you and tell us a little bit about your podcast too. Yeah, for sure. So best place is, is saleschema.com. Sales is a, as in sales and schemas and schematic, S-C-H-E-M-A. Uh, and yeah, we host a weekly podcast as well called the Digital Agency Growth Podcast, which you know is, is definitely geared towards agency owners and working service companies. That said, we, we interview lots of C-level people. We interview people in the tech space. It's definitely going out past just the the agency slash marketing world. So if anybody wants to check that out, it's just on the podcast tab of our site and, and digital agency growth podcast is the name again. Okay. And as usual, we'll have the links down in the descriptions. Uh, doesn't matter where you're at, YouTube, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iTunes, links will be there. Make sure you check out the, you know, Dan, check out his podcast. I got to ask you one question about podcasting. Since you do a podcast, when you're on a guest, and when you're a guest on a podcast, do you find it hard to switch between roles of uh, host and guest? Uh, yeah, yeah, I definitely think it's harder to to host. So good on you, you know, just kind of like coming <laughs> up uh, with with questions and you know staying on enough. So, yeah. so uh, yeah, being being a guest to me is more is more fun and more relaxing. So I appreciate oh, you yeah. giving me that and opportunity. Yeah. yeah, no, this was awesome. Hey, thank you so much, Dad. Appreciate you coming on. And definitely once this pandemic thing and the Bob ends, definitely want to get you back on. Yeah, I appreciate it, David. Thanks so much, man. Oh, no problem. Cheers. Wow, such a wonderful discussion with Dad. First, if you love this interview and you found that helpful, do me a favor. Smash that like button. Smash that subscribe button. But if you really want to do us a solid, help us grow this community, this community of business owners, executives, directors, managers, young executives, business-minded folk who want to come together and find out how to break through the barriers preventing growth. Okay, share this episode on social media, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, wherever it may be. And let's get Dan Englander Sales Skiva and Shark Bite Biz Trending. I also want to bring out some news real quick, okay? Within the next week or so, by the time this episode publishes, I'll actually have my very first full-blown article on Forbes.com. It's really good. It's about business, what we've learned during the pandemic, stuff that we've essentially been talking about during the, you know, the course of this podcast. So stay tuned within the next uh, maybe 10 days-ish, and we'll definitely be publishing the links where you can find that article. It's a great read. Now, let's get back to Dan. 
Living off the beaten path is something that both Dan and I have in common. It's amazing how living in a developing country and not just the tourist areas can really give you a new perspective in life and really make you appreciate what you have. We've had some of our most successful entrepreneurs that have come on this show with essentially that same exact message. We've all found that experience just to be eye-opening, and it made us all who we are today. Made us grateful for what we have and what we can do here. So it's been really good. I encourage it to everybody, you know, take a, a couple months, go live in the middle of nowhere. Take that experience, see how people really live outside of this country, and it will give you a new perspective, I think, in the world of life, in the world of business, and just doing the right thing and helping everybody. So being ahead of the curve with your digital business development is also key. I mean, as Dan was saying, we've all had to pivot. And those that already had their feet wet when this pandemic hit are thriving right now because consumers are looking for that digital engagement. They're looking for those digital purchases as well. It's now inbred into all of us as buyers as well as business people. We were thrown off the deep end into this digital age because of this pandemic. So right now is the perfect time to develop your long-term digital strategy. And it's really going to be one of those key strategies that's going to help your business break through any pandemic-based barriers right now. Lastly, he brought up an excellent point about platform risk. What risks are you going to accept by essentially paying to play on a platform you don't own rather than owning another way to generate your own leads? It's not that bad to pay, though. I mean, pay to play, it is what it is. There's a certain amount that I would argue that everybody should have in that digital strategy that is the pay-to-play. LinkedIn ads are expensive, but if they give you at least some form of an ROI, go for it. Absolutely, go for it. But how much is it worth it for you? And look on the other side, is there a better, safer, organic way to increase your business digitally that you should possibly be investing in as well too. Things like SEO and stuff like that, you have to find that right balance. I guess there really is no wrong answer, but there is a perfect answer for your business and that's exactly what you have to find out. So think about it. Question of the day is gonna be, where do you think that we should draw the line with your sales and marketing automation? Leave a comment down below on YouTube or on any of the social media platforms that you found us, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, wherever it may be. Let's get this discussion rolling. Lastly, do you wanna be a guest in this show? Do you have a good business story to tell about this current global pandemic and how you thrive during it? Or maybe your business shut down and you want to go out there and let others learn from your mistakes, from your experience. No story is a bad story. We'll have them all here. Love to discuss everything we can. Shoot me an email, david at
at sharkbitebiz.com. And as you all know, I'm David Strasser. This is Sharkbitebiz, and we'll see you all next episode. Ciao. Thank you for listening to Shark Bite Biz. We hope you got some insightful info from this podcast. Be sure to subscribe to us through your favorite podcast app and visit us on the web at www.sharkbitebiz.com. How has business changed for you in the 20s? Email us at podcast at sharkbitebiz.com so you can join us and share your story. 